I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm, I'm going to really endeavor to teach today. Now, this is the last sermon in the series, Strengthening Your Grip. So if you felt a little beat up in the last couple of weeks, hope is coming, all right? Hope is coming. On Easter, we're going to begin a new series entitled the, the, the Awakening, The Awakening. And we're going to talk about hope awakening in our heart, true living faith awakening in our heart. And it is going to be a very positive series. And I want to really encourage you to bring out your friends because I really believe it's going to be life-changing as we see the awakening that's going to happen as a result of the resurrection. But here in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus tells us a few very important things. Number one, he says in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth or rust destroy. Now, the, the monitor in the back is not on. I'd like it on, please. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust does not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everybody say, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now jump down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Everybody say, you cannot serve both God and money. Do you see the power of money? That Jesus literally says that for some people, money is the same as serving God. Money, the love of money, the Bible says the root of all evil, and it, and it can come close to serving God in some people's lives. That's sad. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than them? Everybody say, I am much more valuable. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour of his life? Verse 28. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more, everybody say much more, clothe you, you of little faith. So do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all of these things. What do they run after? They run after the security of knowing that they're going to have food and drink and clothing. But your heavenly Father knows what you need. Say, my Father knows what I need. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom, His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Everybody say, as well. Therefore, do not worry about today or tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And everybody said, 
amen to that statement. This morning, as I bring to conclusion my series entitled Strengthening Your Grip, we have been very much challenged. Last week we were challenged to trust in God with all of our heart. But this week I want to talk about strengthening our grip on our finances. See, the truth is that we're losing our grip on, on, the, on, on our finances in our life. We're really losing our grip on giving and being generous. Having a generous spirit. Just two generations ago, American, America was a nation that was very thrifty. We lived within our means and so many of us set aside money for unseen expenses today. Americans carry a 2.5 trillion dollar debt. We are in debt at the tune of 2.5 trillion dollars. Up to 22% since 2000 alone we have seen an increase in debt, an increase in people not wanting to give their money away or their resources away. According to the Federal Reserve Board, the average household credit card debt is over $8,000 and up 15% from 2000. As a result, the percentage of disposable income that consumers must set aside to service their debt, a figure that includes monthly credit cards, payments, on our car loans, mortgages, and interest and principal, it has risen 14.5% from 11% 15 years ago. By contrast, the nation's savings rate, listen to me, which exceeds 8% of disposable income in 1968, now is 0.4. We do not save our money. In 1968, Americans were encouraged to save, and they did. In a record amount, Americans were saving their money. They were putting it away for retirement. They were putting it away for their college fund for their children. They were putting it away to save it for expenses that were unseen. But most ominous, listen to me, as Americans have dug themselves deeper into debt, the value of their assets had started to fall as well. Mortgage debt stood at $10.5 trillion at the end of last year. It has more than doubled the $4.8 trillion seven years earlier. And so we can see that America, we know as we turn on the TV and listen to the reports, America is in a financial meltdown. Listen to me. Americans have lost their grip on saving. They have lost their grip on giving. And they have lost their grips on being content. In fact, the truth is, America is growing more and more discontent with their lives. In fact, did you know that when it comes to American consuming more and more things, America, men, Americans really consuming a lot of things, there is a new saying, when things get tough, the tough go shopping. It seems like the harder it gets, the more difficult it becomes. It seems like the more we go into debt, 
the more dissatisfied we are and the more we want to go out and shop for more things that we cannot afford to buy. Could you imagine that? That we can't even see it. My, my brother actually, now don't say boo, alright? But my brother sells timeshares in the timeshare business. And the truth is, he, he tells me, Steve, I am so absolutely amazed that when the economy actually crashed, more people went out and bought timeshares with money they didn't have. They went into even more debt because there is a, a feeling, a, such a discontentment amongst Americans today and, and they're so depressed and unhappy that they believe that what's going to make them happier is to go out and get a bigger flat screen TV, a newer car. It's amazing how we are trying to desperately make ourselves happy by buying more things. In other words, when we get depressed, we don't go to the master, we go to MasterCard. When we get frustrated, we don't pray, we pay for things that we cannot afford. When we have problems in our life, we don't fix them, we go to Netflix to get more films to make us happy. When we break up, we make up a good plan to make ourselves feel better by taking a vacation that we cannot afford. When we get mad, we get the newest fad. Got it? We treat ourselves to a new iPhone or a flat screen TV or a new toy. Why? Because MasterCard has convinced us that there are certain things that are priceless in our life. And guess what? Those things that are seemingly priceless are very costly. Because MasterCard will tell you the only way that you can be happy with your family is to take a vacation and put it on the credit card. The only way that you can be happy with your family is to go to the ballpark and spend $20 on a hot dog and put it on your credit card. Why? Because we don't have the money. So as a result, American Christians and non-Christians are stressed to the max. We are filled with fear and we can't seem to get ourselves out of this slippery slope of debt in our life. So how do we regain our footing when it comes to our finances? How do we strengthen our giving? Why? Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. See, but the problem is with most Christians, we, we are finding that the, the, the more stressful we become over our finances and the more fearful we become over our finances, the less we give. And the less we give, the more the window in heaven begins to close on us and the more we find that we're not blessed by God. Because the, the way that we unlock the blessings of God in our life is to give, is to be generous. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we're stressed to the max. There are people that are here this morning that are stressed because they're over their head in their finances. Your giving should be proportionate to what God has given you and you should be tithing, but you're afraid to tithe. You're living in fear. You're afraid to let go of that which you are making today because you're afraid that you're going to go poor. And we are addicted to living outside of our means and, and we're trying our best to be happy in our life. I want to encourage you, we're going to begin again Financial Peace University 
And when we begin those classes, you need to take them so that you can get yourself out of debt, so that you can find yourself at a place where you're not living in fear. Jesus said that we're not to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough of its problems. We're to live the way God wants us to live. We're to be obedient to God and we're to give so that God can bless us back. So this morning, I want to strengthening, strengthen your grip in three areas. Number one, I want to strengthen your grip in your understanding of what God says about possessions, money, and finances. I want to see what the Word of God says about finances this morning. The second thing I want to strengthen your grip on is giving. Because you're not going to be blessed until you begin to give back to God what really belongs to God. Until we stop robbing God and we start giving what belongs to God, we cannot be blessed. And number three, I want us to strengthen our grip on our contentment in our life. Because the truth is, until we become content in what we have, until we become content in the Lord, until we become content in our marriages, until we become content in our life, we will always try to get more and get ourselves more and more in debt because we're never going to be happy until we find inner peace and contentment in our life. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are still the funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life, but God loves you just the way you are. Come on, turn to your neighbor right now. So, so what is God's view on our finances? What is God's view on our possessions? Number one, the truth is we have to stop saying that they're ours and we have to actually say that it's God's. Why? Because I want you to write this down. You have a little piece of paper in your bulletin. Write this down. The truth is everything that we have today belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. Why did Jesus speak more about money than he did about eternal life? Why did Jesus speak more about money than he talked about salvation? Why did Jesus talk more about money than he did about heaven? Why did Jesus talk more about money than he did about sanctification, living pure and holy lives? You know, the, the truth is the Bible talks about 2,400 times about possessions and money. Because Jesus knows that money is always competing with God. That the truth is possessions are always competing with God in our life. And if we can get that under wraps, if we can understand that money, the love of money is the root of all evil and it will trap us and it will destroy our lives. And if we can understand that our money really belongs to God, then it will set us free to do the will of God in our life. As long as we believe it's ours, as long as we claim ownership of it, we will still live in selfishness and fear. See, Jesus knew we, as human beings, have a tendency to lose our grip on what is really important in life. You see, Jesus knew that possessions tend to compete with our relationship with God. Now, if you notice, Jesus tells his disciples several things about possession. Number one, he says, be careful where you store your treasures. He says, be very careful where you're storing your treasures. If you store your treasure on earth, it'll rot, he said. If you store it in heaven, it'll be safe in eternity. He also says no one can serve 
two masters. He said, either you serve God or you serve money, but you cannot serve both of them. It doesn't work. Your heart must be totally fixed on loving God so that your money can be resources to build His kingdom, not our kingdom. Somebody say amen. And God, and only God, can, can fill that empty void in our souls. And when we run after money like the pagans do, we will neglect the most vital relationships in our life. When we run after possessions, when we run after things instead of people, instead of God, we will find ourselves very empty and lost and there will be a void, a hole, a vacuum in our spirit. And Jesus says, don't run after the same things the pagans do because the pagans are always left wanting more. And when we run after those things, we will re re neglect building the kingdom of God and we'll lose our grip on the more important things in life. Listen to me. There's one statement I want you to remember if you don't remember anything else in this sermon. And this is, everything belongs to God. Let's practice that. One, two, three. Everything Say it again. Tomorrow morning, I want you to get in your new car and I want you to say, everything belongs to God. Tomorrow night, when you come home from work and you put that key in the door and you walk into your beautiful house, I want you to touch your couch and say, this belongs to God. I want you to touch that big flat screen TV and say, this belongs to God. I want you to go into the kitchen, ladies, and put your hand, not when it's on, on the stove, and I want you to say, this belongs to God. I want you to go everywhere in your house and say, every item that I have belongs to God. Teenagers, I want you to go in your drawer and I want you to get out that fancy hoodie that you bought at the store, at the Gap store. I want you to take it out and I want you to say, Gap store hoodie, you belong to God. Amen? Are you going to practice that with me? Everything, say with me, everything belongs to God. This will change how you live your life. This one statement will determine how you spend your money. How you will give away your money. This one statement will affect the way you view the things that God has placed in your hand. All of the possessions that God has given you. And how you will, view, you will even view the loss of money in your life. See, it will set you free. You'll be like Job. Naked I came into this world, and naked I'm going to leave this world. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. And so it'll change everything about how you live your life when you recognize that nothing you have does not already belong to God. Psalms 24, I want you to turn with me. Psalms 24, verse 1. Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth belongs to God. And everything in all the world is His. Everything. Everybody say everything. David understood this when he declared in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you, is yours. Wow. You see, the problem with most people is they really don't believe that it really belongs to God. So, they spend their money however they want 
to spend their money. Have you ever asked God how He wants you to spend His money? Have you ever asked God His will on the things that you are going to spend your money on? Hey, listen, when I go lease a car, I ask God specifically, is this your will for me to, to lease this car? I ask Him because that car doesn't belong to me. It really belongs to Him. I, I even ask Him, what's the number you want me to spend, Lord God? Look at my budget. And I stay within the budget because I know that there are certain things that I am obligated to do in the Word of God. I have to tithe. Not because I really have to, but because I get a privilege to tithe. And I want to take my first fruit. I want to take the very best and I want to give it to God. And so as a result of that, every decision I make, where I eat, dinner, you know, when I go out to dinner, every decision I make, it's in the light of recognizing that, that my money really isn't my money. It belongs to Him and I have to use it wisely because I am a good steward of what God has given me. Now, does that mean that God doesn't want me to enjoy the things that He's... No. In fact, God tells me in His Word that everything that He has created is for my enjoyment, my pleasure, so that I can love Him even more. And so God doesn't have a problem. He, he doesn't have a problem with me going out to dinner. He doesn't have a problem with me going to see the Yankee game. In fact, He really likes the Yankees. He doesn't have a problem with me enjoying a vacation. He doesn't have a problem with me resting. He doesn't have a problem with me having a great time with my kids. He does have a problem when I don't put him in the equation and use my money however I think I want to use my money instead of really understanding that it all belongs to him. You see, the truth is we spend our money the way we want to. We make our money and we think it's ours because we've made it. But God said, when I let you go into this land that is so prosperous and so abundant, don't ever forget that it was I who gave you the strength and the power to do everything that you've done. I've given you everything that you have today. I've blessed you. Never, he said, never ever forget that. So the truth is, God owns everything. And that, in so many ways, will dictate the way we live our life. You see, I believe many people are not blessed because they fail to give God total control over their stuff. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Write this down. Luke 14, 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife or his children, his brothers or sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? Was Jesus literally saying, I should hate my children? Absolutely not. He uses that word as a very, very strong word. Why? Because what he was saying is nothing should ever compete with your love for me. Nothing. You can only serve one God. So my wife is not my God. My children are not my God. And when it comes to finances, my children should not dictate how I spend my money. And believe me, children have an incredible way of making their parents feel guilty because they don't have enough. And I've got to tell you something. There have been times when I've told my children, I can't give you this. I won't give you this because I've given this to missions. Or I've given this to tithing. You know, I've given hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars to tithing. And you know what? That's why we can't have this car. That's why we won't go on this vacation. Because this belongs to God first. You know what? And I've got to have that in my heart. I've got to be strong enough to say that. Look at my children in the face and say, I'm sorry. We will not 
keep up with the Joneses or whatever because they don't tithe and they spend their money on whatever they want to spend their money on but that money doesn't belong to me and I will not rob God of that money I will give God first and God will give back to me not only in this world but in the world to come we've got to teach our children how to do that Luke chapter 14 verse 33 in the same way any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Larry Burkett, he passed on, but he was a, a guru of finances. He was a Christian uh, businessman and teacher. And listen what he says about finances. When we acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. No longer do we ask, Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? The question is restated. Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? Let's practice that. Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? You know, um, the Crusaders, they would hire mercenaries to fight for them during the Crusades. And they would actually baptize all of the mercenaries. And the mercenaries were not Christians. They were pagans. They were savages, most of them. And, but they would have to be baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and so the, the mercenary would hold up his sword like this. Look, while he was being baptized, he would hold up his sword like this. And he would allow himself to be baptized. And he would hold his sword out of the water. And what he would proclaim is, is Lord... You can have me, but you can't have my sword. And anything I do with my sword is outside of your kingdom. And that's how so many Christians spend their money. Lord, you can have some things in my life, but my money, that belongs to me. And they hold it outside of the baptismal water and say, money belongs to me. I spend it however I want to spend it. Number two, I want you to write this down. God is absolutely in control of every circumstance in my life. Write that down. I want you to say that with me. God is in control of every circumstance in my life. See, Jesus tells us worrying about money will always lead us to running after the wrong things in life. And what's the remedy to being fully convinced that God's going to provide for us? That God is in control of every area of our life. He is in control of your finances. And so, if we lose our money, God's going to provide anyway. See, that's the problem. We're running around living in fear instead of recognizing that God is not only in control when we're prosperous, but God is also in control when we're not prosperous. As the prophet declared, Lord, when there are figs on the tree, I will praise you. When there are no figs on the tree, when there's no fruit on the tree, yet I will still praise you, Lord God. That, Lord, you have all things in control in my life. We've got to start trusting God that even when we take a financial loss, God is still in control. That God still will provide for us. Because number three, the truth is, God promises us as His children that He will provide for us. That's very important. I want you to say with me, God promises me that He will provide for me. You know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Does that mean when I lose something, God is still in control? 
Does it mean that when I lose money in the stock market, does it mean that when I'm having a hard time paying my mortgage, God is going to provide? Absolutely. Why? Because Paul the Apostle declares, and God shall supply all my, all my, all my, not my, all my, not my, all my, not my. Oh, you got it. You must have heard this already. God is not obligated to meet all of our wants, but God does obligate Himself to meet all of our needs. Isn't that powerful? That, that David himself said, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. That God has obligated Himself to meet our needs, but not necessarily all of our wants. Now that's where we get in trouble. Because there are certain things that we want that get us into debt. Because instead of saying, no, I don't need that, this is a want, and I can wait until God provides my needs, and even give me some of my wants, we instead put it on the credit card, and we become a slave to the lender. The Bible says in Proverbs, oh, if you owe something, you become a slave to the lender. Paul the Apostle says, oh, nothing but what? To love and to do the will of God. And so the enemy wants us to be enslaved to the things that we want. But God says, I want to meet all of your needs according to my riches in glory. The second place I want to strengthen your grip for a few moments is on giving. Because I want to tell you that you cannot be blessed without being a giver. I want you to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. Read, read along with me if you would. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. But just as you excel in everything, just as you strengthen your grip in faith and in speech and in knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you excel in this grace of what? What is God saying? God's saying, my will for your life is that you excel in this gift of giving. In this gift of grace. Now what is grace? Grace has given us what we need, when we need it, even though we don't deserve it, right? And, and God is saying, I want you to excel in this gift. The word grace there is gift, charisma. He's saying, as you are strengthening your grip on faith, as you're strengthening your grip on love, I want you to also strengthen your grip on giving. Now, I'm going to shock some of you, but did you know that in the Old Testament, God didn't ask just for the tenth of the tithe, the first fruit, but actually God asked for 23%. Did you know that? You might say, where's that found in the scripture? If you study the scripture, you will find that God tells them to give their first fruit, then God tells them the year of Jubilee to tithe and to give to the poor. And then God tells them to give another tenth, right? And so in the scriptures, the truth is that God tells us to be a great, aggressive, excelling, excellent giver. Why? Because the truth is the more you give to God, the more God will give to you. I have found Christian men who are very, very successful businessmen. Christian women 
who are successful businesswomen who can never outgive God. The more they give to God, the more God gives back to them. It's a principle found in God's Word. We're going to look and we're going to see that. So Paul the Apostle tells us that we are to excel in this gift of giving. And he uses the example of the Thessalonians. They were as poor as you can get. They were rock-bottom poor people. In fact, they were so poor because they were persecuted, because they came to know Christ as their Savior, and their houses were confiscated. Their things were confiscated. And they could have said, God, you weren't good to me. But the Bible tells us that when they had to make an offering for the poor in Jerusalem, to send their gift to Jerusalem, the, Thessalon the Thessalonians begged Paul to be recipients, not of the gift of receiving, but recipients of the privilege of giving the gift to the poor. They begged Paul to be givers, to give an offering to those that were other, other poor people in other parts of the world. That's amazing. And Paul the Apostle says, man, you have shown what it really is to be a giver. That you've not given out of your excess, but you've actually given out of your poverty. Just like the woman with the two mites that gave in the offering. What did Jesus say about that woman? She's given more than anyone else because she gave out of her utter poverty. Gallup poll says this, 17% say they tithe in church. But the truth is only 3% really actually do. So not only are they robbing from God, but there's a whole lot of liars in the church. 40% will give nothing in a year. 40% of Christians give not a penny to the church. Wow. I think one of the reasons is because we have this consumer mentality that many Christians come to church and they are consumers. They believe, what can the church do for me? I've come to the church to get something from the church. Instead of realizing, I come to the church as a family so that we can together build the kingdom of God, not only in this location, but around the world. 91% say they make more money than ever before in their life. Now this has changed a bit lately, hasn't it? 71% of pastors believe the church members have changed from stewards to consumers. Giving by class. Did you know that, that the poor give more money to the church, the poor give more money to the work of the kingdom than any other group? The poor give more money. So it's not about how much money you have to give. I know some people say, when I make enough money, then I'll begin the tithe. But that's not the way the kingdom works. The kingdom works, you get a dollar, you give 10%. You give 10 cents. If you learn that early in life, as I've taught my kids early in life, that you know what, tithing doesn't start when you become rich. Tithing doesn't start when you get enough money. You will never have enough money if you're waiting to tithe. Tithing starts the moment you realize that everything belongs to God. And that dollar that you received in that little envelope when you had a birthday, 10 cents goes to the Lord. Wow. That's a powerful concept. Did you know that when it comes to weight loss... Oh, let me talk about pets. In 2007, it's been estimated that Americans will spend over $40 billion on their pets. $40 Now, I like my dog. But let me tell you something. My dog gets cancer. There's one will. The will of God is that dog goes to heaven. That's it. That's it. She's going to heaven, you know. We will bring that dog to 
the, the, the veterinarian and the veterinarian will help that dog go to heaven. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now you might say that's mean. That's cruel. <laughs> I don't know if it's mean or cruel. I just know that we've got to have our priorities in the right place, folks. Forty billion dollars on our pets. And I love my little dog. She sleeps with me every night. But there will be a time when she will go to heaven. And I will say, God bless you. All dogs go to heaven. Weight loss. It's estimated that by 2010, Americans will spend... Now, this is already 2012. Americans will spend over $60 billion on weight loss programs that don't even work. But giving is not a priority. Christians worldwide had personal income totaling, listen, more than $16 trillion in 2007, but gave only 2% to Christian causes. Donating over tithing, overall only 3 to 5% of those who donate money to a church tithe. They give 10% of their income. Tithing, 9% of American born-again adults tithe in 2004. Then and now, giving by North American churchgoers was higher during, listen to me, higher, listen to me, giving by churchgoers in America was at the highest. When? Can anybody guess? Can anybody guess? The Great Depression. The Great Depression. 3.3% in the Great uh, Depression. People gave more per capita to the kingdom of God when our country was going through the Great Depression. So here, here's, here's what's going on. There is an enormous prosperity that has happened in the 21st century in the United States. Did you know the United States is the home to 276 billionaires? Over 2,500 households with a network that exceeds over one million dollars. Yeah, there's a couple of you in here today. I'm teasing. And yet, income is up, but giving is down. Income has gone up nine to ten times in the last 20 years, while giving has gone down by 50%. So here it is. It's evident. The more we have, the less we give. It's a fact that the more we have, the less we give. So in the next few minutes, I want you to write this down. I want to give you some biblical principles about giving. Number one, giving makes us like God. Turn to your neighbor and say, giving makes you like God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That God so loved the world. How many of you have ever said, God I want to be like Christ. Let me see your hands. I want to be like Jesus. Let me see your hands. This is a trick question. I'm going to catch you right now. If you say you want to be like God, then you have to be a giver. And if you're not a giver, that means you're not like God. Because God is a generous giver. Giving makes us like God. Number two, giving actually draws us closer to God. Write that down. Giving draws us closer to God. How do I know that? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be as well. Listen to me. So if your treasure is in building the kingdom, see my heart is in heaven. You know why? Because I don't have a whole lot of earthly goods. 
And the truth is, if I had a whole lot of earthly goods, my heart would be drawn to those earthly goods. But you know what? Since I was 19 years old, I've been storing up my treasures in heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven. Because boy, oh boy, in heaven, I'm going to be driving that incredible car that I always wanted. Because we're storing in heaven. So here's, here's the deal. Wherever you put your resources, that's where your heart is going to be. Wherever you put, if you put your resources in building the kingdom of God, then your heart is going to be in the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. If you had a million dollars in the bank, and someone said to you, we want to we open up a business, and I want you to be my partner, and I want you to give $10,000 to that business, but you have a million dollars in the bank. You know what? When that business starts to sink, when that business starts to go south, what are you going to do? You're going to cut your losses? And you're going to move on. It's only $10,000. Now, if you took that million dollars and you put it into that business, how hard would you work to make sure that that business succeeded? You would do whatever you had to do. Why? Because everything you own was in that business. You see, when everything we have is in the kingdom of God, then our heart is towards the kingdom of God. Our passions and our desires are towards the kingdom of God. You want to be close to God? Give to what God is close to. And what is God close to? The poor. Give to what God is close to. What is He close to? Winning the lost. Reaching people with the love of God. That's what God is close to. You want to draw close to God? Give to what God gives to. Giving is the antidote to materialism. You see, we live in a very materialistic world. And what is materialism? It's get and get more. Get all that I can. What's the opposite of getting? Giving. You see, materialism is, I want more. I need to get. But the opposite of that is, I need to give. So how do you keep yourself from being selfish? You give. How do you keep yourself from getting wrapped up, gripped in the, in, in, in the grasp of materialism? Give it away. Every once in a while, when I feel like I'm getting selfish, I used to at one time really be, I know, and some of you think I should still do that, but I used to love ties, wearing ties, you know, right? I just, I, when I got depressed, I didn't go out and spend a lot of money on really big things. I'd just go out and buy myself a really nice tie. And I'd go on these missions trips, and I'd always bring my nicest ties with me, you know? And every single time I go on a missions trip, God speaks to me, and He tells me, I want you to give away these things, you know? So now I don't bring the bet. No, I'm just kidding. And I was on a mission trip a couple of weeks ago, and I had some of my ties there, you know. And the Lord said, mm-mm, give them that really nice tie, you know. I'm like, here, take the tie. Now, you might not think it's a big deal, you know. I give tons of money away as well. But to me, that was a big deal because that was something I loved. That was my favorite tie, right? And you know, the truth of the matter is, is you should give away some things that you really, that you really love. Now, I'm not talking about your kids, okay. But you should give away things it keeps you okay I'm not talking about your spouse all right I really love you dear but as a result of not making you God in my life I'm giving you away <laughs> giving strengthens my faith giving strengthens my faith why because the truth is when I give something away I've got to trust God that he's going to give it back to me that he's going to provide for me so the truth is giving is one of the greatest ways of being able to strengthen your faith Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Number five. Giving is an investment in eternity. 
You see, we give happily. Why? Because the Bible says it's more happy to give than to receive. So give happily to those that are in need. And always be ready, the Bible says, to share whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasures for yourselves in heaven. And it's the only safe investment for now and eternity. That's what the Bible says. Number six, giving blesses me in return. We know that. Why? Because we just said that. Giving makes me happy. It makes me happy. There's more happiness over giving than receiving. So what does the Bible say then about tithing? Well, number one, write this down. Number one, there are eight reasons why God wants you to tithe. We teach this in 101. Number one, God commands it. God commands it. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 10. He says, a tenth of all your produce is the Lord's, and it is holy. It is holy. Circle holy. What that means is it is set apart. A tenth of all that God has given you is holy. What does that mean? It means you don't touch it. You don't dare touch that which is holy. You don't dare touch that which is set apart, that belongs to God. So it's holy. It belongs to Him. When you touch it, you defile it. When you touch it and take it, you steal from God that which was set apart for the Lord. Number two, some people would question, is this an Old Testament principle? I'm not under the law anymore. Well, you know what? The truth is, we're not under the law. And yet, at the same time, God gives us the law so that we can be what God wants us to be. So it's not that Jesus has done away with the law, but that we can now fulfill the law and go beyond the law. Because now it's not just a law that is written on a tablet, but now it's a law that's written on our heart. Let me ask you a question. If you would say, I'm not under the law anymore, does that mean that you get to commit adultery now because you're not under the law? You see how silly that argument is? That we're not under the law anymore, and because we're not under the law anymore, I don't have to give generously anymore. I'm not under the law. And so, I'm not under the law, so now I can lie, I can steal, I can commit adultery, I can lust in my heart, I can use the name of the Lord in vain, because I'm not under the law. See, that doesn't make sense. The truth is, because we have been set free from the penalty of breaking the law, now we can keep the law and we can do what God has called us to do. Now there are some laws in the scripture that don't apply to us. They were Jewish laws. This is not one of them. Why? Because Jesus says to the people in his time, you should have tithed and done even more than that. He says tithing is the baseline. He says you should even be doing more of that. Let me give you the scripture reference for that so you can go home and read it yourself. Matthew 23, 23. And he said you should tithe and you shouldn't leave out the more important things either. In other words, loving God first is more important than tithing, but you should do both, not one. Amen? Tithing demonstrates that God is first place in my life. Deuteronomy 14.23 The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. Write that down. Deuteronomy 14.23 Three things that show that God has first place in our life. Number one, how I spend my time. Number two, how I spend my treasure. Number three, how I spend my talents. Let me go quickly. Tithing reminds me that everything I have has been given to me from God. Notice what he says in the scriptures. Always remember that this is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Number five, tithing expresses my love to the Lord. Tithing expresses. The psalmist said, how can I repay the Lord 
for all the goodness he has done to me? The answer is found, write this down, in Deuteronomy 16, 17. Each of you should bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord God has blessed you. Number six, God says refusing to tithe is stealing from him. That's a pretty strong statement. Malachi chapter 3 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And God says, in the tithes and in the offerings. Bring, he said, your whole tithe. Not 3%, not 5%, but 10% to the Lord. Number seven, tithing gives God a chance to prove that he exists. In fact, God says, if, if you tithe and you trust me, then I'm going to show you that I exist. Look at me. I'm going to show you that I exist by opening the window of heaven and pouring out a blessing that you cannot contain, I will pour into your lap. Number eight, tithing proves <clears throat> not only that I love God, that God absolutely, absolutely has my heart, has my heart. So what should I tithe? The first part. The Bible says we are to tithe the first part, not the leftovers. The Bible is real specific. Where should I tithe? Not to the evangelist on TV, I hate to tell you. <clears throat> Not to the program that you like to watch during the week. He says you are to tithe to the storehouse. Where is the storehouse? The storehouse is where you come to get your grain, where you get your word, where you get your family fed, where we as a family come together and take the store that we have the first day of the week we bring in to the storehouse so that we can give it out to missionaries, so that we can give it out to build a kingdom in Valley Stream and beyond. When should I tithe? First Corinthians, write this down, 16.2. On the first day of every week, set aside some of what you have earned and give it as an offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you to earn. Notice what he says. He says, it's in proportion to what the Lord has helped you to earn. So if you, if you own a dollar, how much should you give? If you own $10, how much should you give? If you earn $100, how much should you give? If you own $1,000, how much should you give? If you, own 10, 000, if you earn $10,000, how much should you give? Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. Now here's, here's what happens. Every time, and I'm going to close. Every time... I write that check out to tithe. Every time I write a check out, it reminds me everything belongs to God. <clears throat> I love God. I'm building His kingdom. And God gives me the privilege to give to His kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we learn the act of giving, Lord, we will give with the right attitude. Lord, you said in the word, that our attitude is more important than the amount we give. And yet, at the same time, you give us a standard. And Lord, that's rock bottom. Lord, you told us we're supposed to tithe and give offerings as well, Lord. That we're not just to treat this, Lord God, as an unholy thing, that this is just a bill. It's not a bill, Lord. It's the blessing that we get to give, Lord. So Lord, not only are we give with the right attitude, but we're to give willingly, Lord God. Lord, your word says, for if the willingness is there, then your gift is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you have not done. And Lord, I thank you, God, that your word says each one of us should give what he's already decided in our heart, not reluctantly or under pressure. 
God, I pray that people would not give under pressure, but they would see the joy of giving, the possibility of being blessed beyond measure. And God, your word says that we are to give cheerfully and sacrificially, Lord God. And that, Lord, we're to give expectantly so that, Lord, we can have a contentment in our spirit and in our heart, God. So, Lord, today, God, we bring everything that we own to the foot of the cross, Lord. God, not just our spirits, Lord, but our possessions, Lord. We thank you for that, Father God. I'd like to challenge you this morning, if you're here, with this one thought and this one response. Do I live my life in such a way that everything I own really belongs to God? Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I struggle with that. I really struggle with that. And I want God to strengthen my resolve to give what belongs to Him. To simply use my resources to build His kingdom. And live my life in such a way that I'm storing my treasures in heaven, not on earth. I want you to raise your hand right now. Say, that's me. I want to do that. I want to use my resources. Everything that I own. I want God to know that everything I own belongs really to Him. I want you to raise your hand right now. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Would you all stand to your feet? Father, we thank you this morning for this teaching, Lord. Lord, sometimes it's not about preaching a fiery message, Lord. Sometimes it's just preaching the Word. To let the Word permeate in our hearts, Lord. To let the Word do its work, Lord. So I pray that the Word would do its work this morning, God. Father, do your work today in a way, Father God, that would bring blessing and honor to your kingdom. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week. God bless you.